Good evening, Revolution. How's everybody doing tonight? Woo! Woo! Corey Reed's preaching. Woo! That's awesome. Hey, um, like a, you got, we all know each other. I'm Justin. I'm part of the leadership team here, but I'm super excited for you guys to join us again tonight. Um, first order of business, Pastor Matt is doing very well. Um, possibly even better than expected. So um, continue to, to lift him up in your prayers. And Emily, um, I did see Emily one day this week out, and I, I asked her, you know, well, who's taking care of Matt? He was in great hands. Jackson was totally in control. Um, so he, he is doing really well. He appreciates all of your thoughts and prayers. Um, and hopefully before too long, he'll be able to be, um, he'll be able to have company and things. But right now, that's not something um, that's in his best interest. So just continue to um, send him messages. He, he's bored, honestly. So if you want to send him some Facebook messages or text messages, just um, to be in contact with him. But um, and still no visitors at this time at the house while he just rests and gets comfortable and heals. So um, thank you. He just wanted me to pass those thanks along for, from him. And then um, this Wednesday night at 5 o'clock, we have a big work evening planned to prepare our new space. Um, I know most of you, most folks have probably not been back to the gymnasium where we're renovating, but the stage is roughly half constructed, um, all the paintings done, and we'll be bringing some things, some final things from the old Revolution building down at 315 Chillicothe Street up here um, this week, Wednesday night. So if you can meet, if you're free, um, if you're free at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet at the Revolution building to collect those things and bring it up here. So if you get there after 5 o'clock and nobody's there, we probably are not done we're probably here. So we would ask you just graciously to um, drive up this way. If you get there, um, it'll probably be between five and six as we're tearing things down, loading it up. And then from six on, roughly, we'll be here. So um, this will be a last push here in the last three or four weeks to get everything finished in the new space so that as Shawnee State students roll back full time, um, we'll be able to open up our services in the new gymnasium auditorium area. So if, like I said, five o'clock Wednesday, if you have any questions specifically, you can see me or see Ryan. Um, who's standing in the back back there. He's not leading worship tonight, so he won't be up, be up front. Um, but see Ryan, he's, he's the ringleader for all that stuff. Or see me, and I'll get you guys plugged in. Um, and then if I had some folks, and I didn't put a message on the Facebook page, but I did talk with some folks uh, to make sure that it was feasible for us to do. Revolution is going to help Shawnee State students move in. Um, in the middle of the month of August, we're going to provide just physical manual labor to carry people's stuff into their, their dorm rooms and apartments. And so um, if you're interested in doing that, I don't have a formal sign-up sheet. Um, touch base with me tonight. I know I, touched, I talked with some folks last week and then during the week, um, but we'll put that out on the page for you guys to sign up this week on Facebook as well. So um, just be thinking about that if you want to help us do that. It's going to be a weekday um, in the middle of August, so that might limit our ability, um, but we want to have as many people turn out as we possibly can because um, ultimately what we want to do is connect with those folks, introduce ourselves, tell them about Revolution, um, and some other things are in the works to kind of have a kickoff event at Shawnee State as well. If we can pull that off, that'd be great. So I'll pray, and then Corey Reed's going to teach tonight, and um, that's how we're going to do it. So, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here together, and we don't take for granted the opportunity to gather as one body of people who confess that we are broken, we're sinful people, we fall short and miss the mark every day, um, but that you, out of grace and mercy and just the definition of love, sent your son Jesus to die for us so that we not only have eternal life and a hope, but that we can then accept a responsibility to share that truth with other folks. And I just, I thank you for um, what you're doing with Pastor Matt. Um, we just pray, you know, it's our hope that your will is to heal him. And just pray that you continue to do that work um, in his physical body, but also, Lord, just in his, in his mind and just in his soul, that you would just 
that you will comfort him, that you will affirm to him that you are in control, that you are his king, and that everything that happens um, throughout the situation is your will for his life. Um, I want to pray for Corey tonight as he comes to teach. Um, I know those of us who get the opportunity to teach here um, a couple times a year, it, it's nerve-wracking for us. We don't necessarily feel like you fully equipped us, equipped us or gifted us for this, but the folks who, who we, you know, what we see in Corey, we know that his heart is right. His heart is in love with you, and he has a desire just to be your instrument tonight to teach people about your love and your grace and your mercy. And I just pray that whatever it is that comes out of his mouth is from you, and Lord, whatever that comes out of his mouth that might not be from you, that we don't even hear, that just falls on deaf ears, that you will open our ears and our hearts to, to your truth and your love um, that he's going to bring to us tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. How's everyone doing? Yeah, I can tell uh, Matt is doing better because he sent me about 15 Facebook messages asking me how I'm doing. I'm like, about 95% done with my sermon. Send me another one. I'm about 97% done. So he's, uh, he's, he's good, but he's bored. So I, I really do recommend you guys send him a Facebook message, text him, something like that. Because the more we do that, the less he bugs Emily and Jackson. So for, for their sanity. Uh, tonight we're going to be in the book of First John again. John 2:22 and a few others. Um, in your blue book, if you use the blue Bible, it's in page 744. By the way, if you don't have a Bible or if you have a Bible you just you can't understand, feel free to take this. This is a gift from us to you. We want you to be uh, reading the Word. All right. Um, 1 John three or two twenty two. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. And let's jump on down to 4.2. This is how we know they have the Spirit of God. If a person is claiming to be a prophet, acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. We can flip on over to uh, 2 John. Just turn one page. 2 John, verse 7. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, if uh, there's probably one word that stood out in that quite a bit to everybody. I know it did to me when I read it. I know uh, my upbringing, I had you know, the Left Behind books, all that. Uh, antichrist, that's a, it's a really loaded term. There's the Left Behind books. I actually saw a book um, my grandma's reading right now. It's called The Fourth Reich. It's an end times novel. And it, uh, the, uh, the blurb on the back was just amazing. I, I might need to read it myself. It, um, it talks about a genetically modified egg uh, taken from DNA from a skull fragment just marked March 4th, Berlin, 1945. was implanted in a Russian woman. Then it was taken out and... Um, Essentially, uh, reincarnated Hitler was the Antichrist in Russia. Uh, ironically named Nikolai, which if you know the uh, Left Behind books, uh, I don't know why you can't write an End Times book without um, using the, word Nic- the name Nikolai for your uh, Antichrist. But um, we've gone through, there's been numerous, numerous guesses on who the Antichrist is going to be. There's been, you know, early Christians thought it was Caesar, you know, Nero or Domitian were big, big prime names. Really, any pope, any pope that's come across, uh, especially Protestants, just name of the Antichrist. It's a, it's a fun thing to be thrown around. There's uh, Hitler, 
Ronald Wilson Reagan, one of the reasons is because Ronald has six letters in his name. Wilson is six letters, and Reagan is six letters. I mean, it's, it's math. How can you argue with math? Um, Bill Gates, the Antichrist, and real popular right now, there's uh, um, Barack Obama is uh, the Antichrist, which um, his full name has 18 letters. I mean, do, do the math. It's 666, you know, same thing. I mean, it's 675, but, you know, you just move one letter over. But, you know, I mean, it, it's really easy to go and say, hey, this is the Antichrist, you know. Um, I, I want to prove to you how easy it is just to, uh, just to pull out anyone you want to be as the Antichrist. Uh, let's take Barney, Barney the dinosaur. Cute, cuddly, cute purple dinosaur, you know. He's, he's really, really a nice guy. I mean, but you look, cute purple dinosaur. But that's not how they would write in Latin, right? They didn't have the letter U. They would have to change all the letters to V. I don't know. I don't know how they did that. But so then we have to, uh, we have to, names of numerical things, we have to take out all the Roman numerals. C, V, V, L, D, I, V. So then you'd add those all together. 100 plus 5 plus 5 plus 50 plus 500 plus 1 plus 5 equals 666. I mean, clearly, Barney's the, the Antichrist. And it's, it's, it's reasonable to think that John, when he was writing Revelation, would not know what a purple dinosaur looked like. Let me see what I have here. Revelation 12, 13. When the dragon... Realized that he'd been thrown down from earth, he pursued the woman and been given birth to the male child. So obviously, you know, it's easy to see. There's other verses in there where he calls the the I mean calls out a dragon. I mean, there's no there's dinosaur, but there's a dragon. So as you can see, Barney isn't really this, but he's this. <laughs> My wife's not the only one in the family with mad Photoshop skills. Notice the seven heads and the, the ten horns? Yeah. All right. But anyway, it's, it's really easy to say, you know, this is an antichrist, this is an antichrist. It's always, it's always in referring to the end times. But I don't, that's not really what um, John was talking about here. Um, interestingly enough, the term antichrist only appears two more times in the Bible than what I just read out of First and Second John. And that's actually First John 2.18 where it appears twice. So, um, I just I want to warn you all to not use the word antichrist. But at least study it out. I know there's other verses in Thessalonians. There's the man of lawlessness. In Revelation, there's the beast. But in the Bible, the only time the term antichrist is used is not used as the end times deceiver. It's used as someone who opposes Christ. I mean, that's what the word means, antichrist, against Christ. Or more specifically... It's someone who denies that Jesus is the Christ or that he came in the flesh. But we don't do that, do we? That's going to be our focus tonight. There are, there are two ways to be an antichrist. One is to deny that Jesus was God, that he was a good, good person, that he walked this earth, but he was not a God, or that Jesus was not, did not come in human flesh, that he was God on earth, but... He did not actually have a human body. Those are, those are how you become an antichrist. I guess, I mean, the third way is just deny Jesus' existence entirely, but that's denying both, that he's, the, that he's God or that he's a man. 
So let, let's look first in the denial of Jesus as the Christ. Uh, many modern scholars today deny that Jesus is the Christ. In academic circles, in most seminaries, it seems, most people believe that Jesus is merely human. That he was a good man, he came down. Um, I was reading an article online, it was on uh, Huffington Post, it was by a retired uh, Episcopalian minister by the name of John Shelby Spong. And he, wrote, he was writing about the Gospel of John, which was written by the same person who wrote 1 John. He said that, uh, in the article, he said that the Gospel of John was not written by John, but it was written by two or three authors working over a period of 25 to 30 years. He said that not one single word in the book of John was, could be actually attributed to Jesus. That's including where he says, I am, and you know, making claims to divinity, and all that. There's, he says there's all, loads of made-up characters in the book that appear nowhere else in the Bible. Um, he, says, he says all kinds of stuff like that. And it's all denying the power of the Bible. Not, he's all denying the authority of the Bible. And most, most scholars today seem to want to deny the authority of the Bible. It's, uh, we as evangelical Christians say it's inerrant. They say it has errors in it. They, we, say it's, we say it's relevant to our lives, that it has power in our lives. They say that, well, there's parts, but you've got you to weed through it and pick out what you can really glean from it and ignore the rest, which I say if you ignore the rest, then why are you even paying attention to the little bit? Um, so, but there, there are many attacks on the Bible. Um, like Shelby Spong, he, he claims that the, the book is written years after it really was, like generations after after the legend of Jesus has arrived. He would call him a legend, not a real person. Uh, or, I mean, he, he, he claimed that Jesus was a real person, but that he was just a person. Um, there, there are criticisms of the Bible. There's, they say there's no original manuscripts. There's no original writings. It's all copies that we have. That's, that's one way people try to discredit the Bible. Um, they say that there's been... It's, it's, it's not what it used to be, that there's been additions, subtractions... All kinds of different things that make the make the Bible not to be trusted. Um, another thing is full of miracles. Miracles can't happen. I mean, right? We we live in a in a highly intellectual society. We don't believe in miracles because they obviously can't happen. So the Bible cannot be true because it has miracles in it. Um, there, there's responses to these. There's there's loads of other criticisms of the Bible, and there's loads of other responses. Um, for the no original manuscripts, otherwise known as autographs, there's at least 5,600 to 5,800 fragments and whole manuscripts of the original Greek. That's a lot. That is an insane amount. There is no ancient text that is preserved that well. Um, compared to the works of Plato, we have seven copies. The works of Aristotle, we have 49 copies. Even, even Homer's Iliad, we only have 643 compared to close to 6,000 manuscripts. Not to mention that these manuscripts were written on a form of paper that it, it's, it's a miracle in themselves that some of these have survived past 50 years, not 2,000 years. Um, the early copies of the text were written within 100 years of the original copies. The earliest copies we have, that is all, often debated, but there is, I think, hard evidence showing that it was actually written um, the Gospels tell nothing about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., which would have been a confirmation of Jesus' prophecy. It wouldn't have been absurd if they had written the, written the Gospels after 70 A.D. to say, Jesus predicted this, look, it happened. 
Now, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, and nowhere in the Bible is it recorded. So the majority of the New Testament, if not all, has to be written before then. And these 56 to 5,800 fragments have an astounding 99.5% accuracy among the, the different copies. Human error alone should account for a larger, much larger percentage of difference between the, um, the copies. I mean, Plato, Plato's copies, the seven manuscripts of Plato that we have are, written twel- are dated 1,200 years after Plato wrote it. Aristotle, our earliest copies, are 1,400 years. And Homer, uh, our earliest copies, are 500 years with a 95% accuracy between all the words. And I, I will add, too, that any of these textual changes that in the Bible, the 99.5, there's none that are theologically significant in that it a- attacks the gospel. There's, uh, there's smaller. So um, not only is it the most well-preserved ancient document we have, it is the most accurate compared to the original. Um, and about the miracles, they say, oh, science, science has disproven miracles. Well, how can you disprove miracles? You can, you can prove things that happen, but miracles are not a scientific study. It's a historical study. It's, it's a time in, um, time, in, time in history that one thing happened that, hap- that defies science, that's supernatural. It's not, it's not a... Um, it's not a scientific thing. You can't replicate miracles. That's against the nature of miracles. You can't use something that's against its own nature to disprove it because you're dealing with two different fields. Um, my dad is in the audience here, and since he is my boss at work, I'm going to keep this next story nameless to protect people. At work, at work, one time, we were, we were all doing our jobs. It was, we, you know, not, no fooling around was happening. This has just happened once. All right, these two, these, yeah. All right. These two guys, they were fooling around. One guy picked up a mustard packet. He threw it 20, 30 feet, trying to hit the other guy in the face. But it, it goes, it somersaults through the air, somersaults through the air. Me, him, and the other guy are the only guy that see this. And it lands directly in the guy's back pocket with a little yellow mustard label sticking out. That's, that's truly the only... I bet one in a million thing that I've ever witnessed occur. Three witnesses. Unbelievable. But the thing is, that really happened. Just like miracles. Miracles could happen with very few witnesses. At one time, I'm sure if he would have thrown another million mustard packets, he wouldn't have gotten in the guy's pocket. But it, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. And that's the same thing with miracles here. They, uh... They, miracles are, you know, once-in-a-lifetime thing, and, yeah, I think I've covered that pretty well. Ah, sorry. Um, the naturalistic philo- philosophy is really popular today. Um, you know, the, there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse, or the uh, atheism. There's, naturalism is, is, is pretty much the philosophy that Everything in this world can be explained by natural means. We've got evolution to explain how we got here. Um, but naturalism is very strong in the, in the uh, histories, too. Um, so a lot of naturalist historians will look at the Bible and take all the sections that have any miracle and say, well, that's obviously myth here. Um, it's pretty near impossible to, dispro- to disprove that Jesus existed. There's so much historical evidence, even outside the Bible, that points to a man named Jesus being born in Nazareth existing. 
But they take, oh, well, this... So they go back to the New Testament and say, well, this has to be written two or three hundred years after it happened because it has miracles, which that's a backwards logic because they should be saying miracles may or may not happen, but we need to see if how close these... um, these accounts of Jesus happened to see whether or not mir- the, these miracles are true. It's, uh, they're bringing their own um, presuppositions to dictate their findings. And Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, would ask skeptics to doubt their doubts. They have doubts about the Bible. They have doubts about miracles. Well, maybe doubt the fact that, you know, miracles can't happen. Maybe, maybe you should take, take into account... I don't know whether or not miracles can happen or not, but in order to do this in an unbiased manner, I'm going to see if these texts line up as accurate. Um, what happens when the circumstances uh, where we don't trust the Bible? Um, well, in the Small article, he says, Christianity is not about the divine becoming human so much as it is about human becoming divine. That is a paradigm shift of the first order. So... He's exalting humanity. He's saying, we are great. We're going to essentially reach godhood ourselves. It's not about Jesus coming down as the Christ, as the God, and saving us. It's about us exalting ourselves and becoming great. And humanity and, you know, humans are going to, you know, live on forever. And we're just so great. Um, It leads to universalism, too, where you don't, you don't trust what the Bible says, so you, you go and you say, well, you know, maybe the whole part about hell isn't to be taken seriously. So let's just say that uh, God's going to save everybody, and everyone's going to make it to heaven eventually. Um, but and that's doing a great disservice to the lost out there to say, well, you're going to make it anyway, because the, the truth of the matter is they're not. And that's the utmost of hatred we could do for somebody is to tell them that they're all right when they're not. Um, th- that also leads to people just saying things like, Jesus is a great moral teacher. Like, I'm going to listen to all the things that Jesus told me about how to live my life, but I'm not going to listen to the parts about Jesus saying, I am God, or you must worship me, things like that. Which, incidentally, Jesus talks much more about the kingdom of heaven than he talks about, these are the things you should do with your life. Um, C.S. Lewis has a great quote about this. And I'm, a lot of you have heard it before, but I, I love it so much. It says, uh, this is, comes from, I believe, mere Christianity. He, he goes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often said about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The sayings of Jesus... Jesus made the claim of godhood. And would you trust any teacher that you know is not God to be God or to even claim to be God? So what what happens if the Bible is reliable? We we've we've pointed out that the Bible can be a historical event. Well, 
that says that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died, and he was resurrected. And that, that says a whole lot. That says that the, the disciples were telling the truth. They go on in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, uh, if the Bible, well, if the Bible is true, we should trust what the apostles say. And in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, all, God, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize our wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So if, Jesus, if the Bible is reliable, then... Um, then Jesus died for, for our sins, and we can trust what the Bible says about Jesus and trust that he is the Christ, which is, that's, that's one of the main reasons that people deny Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as God, is they do not believe the Bible as true. So we've, we've got that. We've got people denying Jesus as the Christ. So how do we deny Jesus as a human? Um, that's, that doesn't seem like something we, we often do, does it? Um, this comes from either this comes from either a Gnostic or a pre-Gnostic idea. Gnosticism was the idea that all, all material objects, all human flesh, everything in this world that you can touch, feel, see, with your, you can measure with your five senses, was evil. And, the, and thought was good. And, you know, immaterial objects, the spirit world was good. But the physical world was evil. So they were, they were teaching. Um, it's not sure when this teaching infiltrated the Christian church, but it, there was at least some form of it infiltrating here, that Jesus could not be a man, that Jesus was was God, but he, he didn't actually have a human body because that would be evil, and God cannot be evil. Um, but we don't really see that kind of philosophy taught very much anymore. We, we see a lot of Jesus was just a man. We don't see Jesus was not a man very often. Um, but I think Especially in my life, I, I do treat Jesus as just God and not man. And I, I, suspect, I suspect a lot of you people, you out there, might do that too. Um, I kind of have the feeling, I, I can't verify this with anything, kind of have the feeling people who grew up outside of the church struggle with Jesus' divinity. I think people that grew up inside of the church struggle with Jesus' humanity. I know I did. I, I, um, it's, it's really easy to do that. Um, but you, if you think about it, if he, if he does not have humanity, I mean, Jesus was tempted. When we're tempted, we fail. When Jesus was tempted, he, he resists. And in terms of service, service other when when we're asked to serve other people, we resist. But Jesus gives. Um, in prayer, we, we often forget. I am the chief of sinners of forgetting to pray or not praying like I should or running straight to God and say, God, I need this, 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 thank you. Instead of spending any time praising God, any time thanking God for what he gave me, and I treat him like a cosmic vending machine in the sky. Um, but we forget to pray. Jesus spends all night in prayer. He sends his disciples off multiple times to spend time with the Father, which is absolutely crazy to think about it because he's God himself. I mean, but he, he has that much value for prayer and communication with God that on earth he spends a large amount of time in prayer. Um, but if Jesus were not human, none of this would matter. Not a single bit of this would matter because he's God and God's perfect. If he did not have the ability to fall, which he, he never did, he never fell, he never sinned, but if he did not have the ability to do that, then it wouldn't matter at all because 
That's, that's the substitutionary atonement, to use a big term. That's, that's, Jesus lived the perfect life for us so that when we accept him on, on judgment day, we're not judged by our own life. We're judged by Jesus' life. We're judged by Jesus not giving into temptation. We're judged by Jesus serving others. We're judged by Jesus' amount of prayer. We're not judged by our own, our own giving into temptation, lack of service, or lack of prayer. Um, so, how, how can we live in a manner that denies the humanity of Jesus? Anytime we try to earn our salvation. I know I do this a lot. I sin, so I try to do something to hurt myself to make it all better. Or, or I, try to, I try to live, do whatever I'm supposed to do, and then I have this welling in me, this just pridefulness in me, that yes, I did what I was supposed to do. God's going to love me now. Um, but yet, when we pridefully act as if we have it all together, that's, that's another thing. We, if we think that we, we are living a good enough life to make it to heaven, that's when we're denying that Jesus, Jesus is humanity because we're, den- we're saying that we can do it on our own. Um, when we despair in our own brokenness, when we are so, so distraught over our own sinfulness, when we are just brokenhearted and think there's no hope, we deny the fact that Jesus came and gave us the hope in his human body. Um, John is warning about two opposite but equal attacks on the heart of the gospel. This is really, this topic here, all, all the other topics we've talked about before are very good things. We're talking about how we know we are a Christian. And the previous, the previous ones are good indicators, but this is the absolute heart of the gospel. This is where John gets to. You, do, you, you deny Christ, you're denying the gospel. Um, the dual nature, as we see, is, is essential to the gospel. We need to have Jesus to live for us, and he, we need him to also be God working for us. So we must fight against any slips into any camp or risk becoming antichrist ourselves. I know I live my life a lot of time against Christ and antichrist in the fact that I just think of him as God and not think of what he's done as a human. Um, so how do we fight? In, um, back to 1 John 2.24. Let what you have heard before... So you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father. So what we have been taught from the beginning refers to the apostolic teaching, otherwise known as what we have as our Bible. So we need to trust the Bible. We need to live in the way that it, that it is. Trust the Bible in both aspects where it tells us that Jesus is God and that Jesus is a human. Um, we need to hold dearly to the gospel. But in order to do so, remember, both Jesus' divinity and humanity are necessary. Anything else is human-made religion. Any other, the, the liberal scholars that deny the, the um, divinity of Jesus is their own religion, where it's a human-exalting, hum, humanistic religion that exalts themselves and denies God. The other one is a legalistic, religious uh, religious. Denying his humanity is legalistic, religious, that says we can do it as on our own. We don't need God to come down and do it for us. Um, anything else is human-made religion, not the truth of the gospel handed to us from the Holy Spirit to us.
So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know I struggle so much with being against you and um, denying you, denying your humanity. And I, I hope that anyone in here who is struggling with that, denying either your godhood or your humanity, will come to realize that you are both. It, as as weird and as um, un, unbelievable as it sounds, you are both fully man and fully human. We recognize that that is what is essential to the gospel and that is essential to what is our salvation. So we thank you today. We thank you for uh, sending us the Bible, sending it to us so that we can, we can know the truth, that we don't have to stumble around and know that we are a Christian. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.